Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Carmen Pugliafito, and I'm here today with Dr. Raj Maturi of Midwest Eye Institute and the Indiana University School of Medicine. Raj, welcome back to Retina Synthesis. Thank you, Carmen. Always a pleasure to be here. So you gave an interesting talk at the ASRS about synolytic therapy for diabetic macular edema and AMD. Uh, this is the result of a phase one trial or a phase one, two trial? Mostly a phase one trial. It, the, the company came up with a very interesting paradigm and wanted to see how it might work. Right. So this, this is something that, that ophthalmologists, retina specialists haven't heard about. It's a, it's a new concept. So why don't you tell us what the fundamental biological paradigm here is? Absolutely. I had to learn a lot of this when the company came to me because initially it didn't make sense. And then it went through an aha phase where you went, okay, this kind of makes sense. Essentially tissues, especially vascular tissues undergo biologic stress in the process of living and dividing. And as they do that, many of these cells, when they get affected by significant stress, just undergo senescence, which is they stop dividing. Senescent cells don't just stop dividing and stay alone, uh, dormant. What they end up doing then is they release a ton of cytokines, chemokines, and matrix remodeling factors. These are known as SASPs, or senescence-associated secretory proteins. These SASPs go on to cause inflammation by releasing and causing fibrosis, fibroblast attraction. And you end up with essentially what we get at the end stage of AMD, of wet AMD with the small fibrotic tissue at the back of the eye and other things. So what if we could stop this process by injecting one drug and all it did was eliminate these senescent cells? Maybe we could decrease the amount of SASPs and all of these inflammatory cytokines, including VEGF, from being produced. So a bunch of animal models went ahead into this um, to come up with kind of what could happen and what would allow normal cells to again grow. Because at some point, all of these abnormal cells actually prevent normal tissue from coming online and actually working. So we first looked to see if there was enough of a senescence burden in both AMD and in DME. And, and the way you can tell if the number of cells that are senescence is to look at something called P16. You label a tissue with P16 and just gonna measure the percentage of cells that are senescent. And we looked at that in normal AMD and diabetic retinopathy, multiple studies have been done in this. And in all of these cases, especially in wet AMD and in diabetes, the senescent burden is in fact much higher than the normal patient, even normal older patients. Additionally, a lot of senescent cells are seen um, in the perimeter of drusen. So that might be another target in the future. So senescent cells exist in human patients with AMD and DME. And then we wanted to see if this drug could inhibit senescent cells in a mouse OIR model, oxygen-induced retinopathy model, as well as a mouse streptozoosin model. In both of these cases, the actual drug, Unity's drug, 
was able to nicely inhibit senescent cells and actually cause cell death. So essentially what we're doing is putting a drug in that identifies number one, the senescent cells, and number two, only identifies cells that are actively producing damaging things. For example, there's something called BIM that's available in a lot of tissues. And survival happens when another protein called BCLXL is bound to BIM. What UBX1325, which is the drug that's injected into the eye does, is go on, become a, pro, that's a prodrug, becomes UBX0601. And, uh, and then essentially you have a ton of BCLXL that's now bound to UBX instead of it binding to BIM. When that happens, senescence proteins get into overdrive and you go on to get uh, apoptosis by turning on the membrane attack complex, destroying the cell. So we can see this happen in multiple animal models and, and also in the mouse OIR model. So this is what we mean by synalysis. Synalytic therapy, yes, this is exactly what we mean. It's a long answer to a simple question. And, and, and the part that really got me interested in this was the animal OIR model. Now, if you inject an anti-VEGF agent into an OIR model mouse, you can see, let's say on D16 or 17, when these are typically looked at and harvested, you see large areas of non-perfusion and you see complete absence of neovascularization because the anti-VEGF agent stops the VEGF growth that's there and inhibits new vessels from growing. That's expected, we have known that for years. So what happens if you inject a synolytic agent? In this case, when UBX1325 was injected into the mouse OIR model, just like, for example, an ILEA injection, you had significant reduction in new vascularization, as expected. However, unlike as expected, the large areas of non-perfusion that were seen in the regular mouse OIR model is now significantly reduced because mm. synolytic therapy actually allows normal vascularization to again happen because you have removed all of these senescent cells, normal vascular growth, endothelial growth occurs, and the amount of non-perfusion is reduced. So it's not only decreasing new blood vessels, but also allowing normal blood vessels to go back and grow again. Mm -hmm. So how in, in diabetic macular edema and in neovascular AMD, how does this process restore normal anatomy or functioning anatomy? Well, the process seems to make a lot more intellectual sense in the diabetic macular edema model or diabetic retinopathy model where large areas of non-perfusion are present. If the mouse OIR model is to be believed, I could see new blood vessels and healthy new blood vessels, not new vascular new blood vessels that are supremely weak and leaky and do all the bad things we see, but maybe healthier vessels to go back into the right anatomical position and grow in a normal way because no senescent factors are present that cause significant fibrosis and VEGF excess to be present. So I could see that actually 
potentially decreasing non-perfusion in cells. So that's, that, that's something that we can't do in retinal pharmacotherapy right now. We cannot reverse non-perfusion. That's correct. I think we have hoped that anti-VEGF agents might do that, but I think the data is pretty clear at this point. They don't do that at all. I completely agree with you, Carmen. Doesn't happen. So tell us about the clinical trial. Sure. So this was a single ascending dose safety study, essentially a phase one for the most part study that looked at patients who could potentially be improved. These were all patients who had had multiple treatments for either wet AMD or DME with continued edema. If they had DME, they had to have at least 350 microns of fluid. And if they had wet AMD, they had to have continued subretinal or intraretinal fluid despite treatment with uh, previous anti-VEGF. And in the end, they ended up having, um, we can talk about first, the safety was excellent. It turned out to be safe, completely tolerable at all of the doses studied, starting with a low dose and then up to a higher dose of five and 10 micrograms. And the phase two studies that are undergoing, that are going on right now, we ended up using the higher dose because it turned out to cause no inflammation. So we can talk about the DME patients uh, first. And um, you ended up having a total of eight subjects in the study. And all of them had been previously treated, but within two weeks of getting their first analytic therapy, the higher dose patients ended up gaining about 10 letters in vision. That's a nice bump up uh, on average. And at week 24, without any additional treatment, they maintained this 10 additional letter gain. The, if you looked at all the patients, they were slightly worse. If you looked at the really small number of low-dose patients, they really didn't change as much. So it was a dose-response curve. And then we also looked at the fellow eye to see what the difference was. They would continue to be treated with anti-VEGF as usual if they needed it, and their visual acuity remained the same throughout the study. What happened to the OCTs? Sure. That's, I would expect that question from, yeah. Uh, um, the OCT decreased rapidly in the first couple of weeks, but it did not stay down. It came back to baseline levels and possibly even a little bit worse afterwards. Synalytic therapy did not completely reverse the OCT. It needs some other treatment for the OCT response to happen. There's a disconnect between OCT response and visual acuity with this therapy. That's fascinating. Yeah. And then let's look at the macular degeneration, wet AMD patients. There were fewer patients. Uh, there were uh, seven, nine patients in this study. And um, they had another five-letter gain, despite having had multiple previous treatments for um, wet AMD. And their visual acuity more or less remained three to five letters above at 12 weeks and at 24 weeks, about three letters higher than baseline. There was one patient who was excluded because I uh, probably shouldn't have been enrolled. He had polypoidal and had other disease. He, he ended up gaining a lot more vision at the end, but it just wasn't consistent with how we looked at it. So we looked at that data separately. So in summary, both wet AMD and in DME, these patients had improved vision, had uh, initial decrease in OCT, but then the OCT came back to baseline. 
And, and a lot of patients with very chronic disease had significant improvements in visual acuity with just one dose, despite being followed up for up to six months afterwards. Well, where do we go from here with senolytic therapy? Yeah, the company got very excited with this data, especially because it's first in human, first in eye treatment with this drug. And uh, so they ended up doing two phase two studies, one in DME and then one in AMD. The DME study is ongoing. They expect the 12-week data to be out pretty soon. And then the primary endpoint at 24 weeks will hopefully be out soon as well. Um, and in that study, they were given injections at um, baseline and uh, compared to just anti-VEGF. And they were fo the, the being followed to see when a second rescue treatment is needed. In wet AMD, it's again, double masked like the DME study. They're separated between baseline injections of anti-VEGF or UBX, and then a second treatment with another UBX uh, treatment at week eight to see if a little additional treatment may give them even longer duration. The wet AMD patients in the phase one study ended up needing rescue a little bit more frequently, so they thought a second dose might be of benefit. That study is just about fully enrolled, so we expect, again, 24-week data soon enough for that phase two study. So why did the vision improve in these eyes? I don't know. I don't know exactly why, because it's a novel treatment. We can always come up with some reasoning, but it improved, and I think it's real. Um, if we had to hypothesize, I would suspect that there was a significant decrease in senescent cells, which decreased all kinds of inflammatory markers that are known, and also some others that are unknown, that may allow the tissue to go back to kind of more baseline as opposed to an extremely sick level with significant cytokines that are probably harmful being present. And in terms of why it worked over such a long term, even though the drug itself breaks down and is out of the eye soon, I think it causes some significant vascular remodeling that allows possibly the tissues to improve. So how um, does how does senolytic therapy interact with anti-VEGF therapy? We would use them both in, in an eye or we would- I, I think that would be okay. In terms of visual gain, I don't know how much additional visual gain we would get with continued anti-VEGF based on this phase one study. Maybe a different MOA, maybe uh, might be helpful. I think those are really good questions that we are- that, that we need answers for before it becomes clinically relevant and, and being able to be used in clinic. Yeah, because the treaters look for resumption of normal retinal architecture as measured by OCT. That, <laughs> that is the gold standard right now of therapeutic endpoints along with vision. Those two things go hand in hand. So if you tell people vision's improving, but architecture as viewed by OCT isn't improving, then there's going to be confusion. For sure. So there is OCT improvement. It just doesn't last as long. It decreases like 50 microns in the first two weeks. It just doesn't last as long. But the vision seems to last longer. It happens in some other treatments too that we have done where there's some amount of 
like integrant therapy, for example, seems to do the same thing. There are parts that we don't fully understand uh, for sure. I agree with you. Well, that's, that, this is uh, a fascinating new mechanism of action in treating these two common disorders. And uh, if we can resume, resume non-perfusion, then in diabetic macular edema or diabetic eye disease, that, that would be tremendous. Very much agree with you there. We definitely need something for ischemia. I think I see patients every week where you see beautiful retinal architecture, but ischemia causing severe vision loss. So something of this nature may be extremely handy in those circumstances. Well, thanks a lot for your time today, Raj. And uh, you think this has a future? Well, I certainly hope so. We certainly need it. And I'll do my best to follow the science. Yes, <laughs> we'll stay tuned. Thank you very much for your help with retina synthesis. We Thank you so much, Carmen.